Wow, it's such a good sight to see, isn't it? Isn't this a good sight? Not that they're leaving. That they're here. <laughs> that they're here. <laughs> so good. When I was, uh, when I got, I got baptized at the age of eight, so very similar to these girls that got baptized this morning, and uh, I didn't really get, uh, like there was no video back then, it was just sort of like, Suddenly, the pastor put a microphone in front of my face and said, what do you want to say about your baptism? And I just said, I'm just glad I'm saved. And (laughs) I think everyone else thought the same thing. Yeah, that kid. (laughs) Hopefully, God can do something with him. Anyhow. What I I didn't, I don't usually tell people this, but I was a bit of a musical prodigy when I was a kid. Um. Every week, I would take my Leela Fleck, or Lila Fletcher piano book to Mrs. Teason's house, and I could play all sorts of songs, but I knew I'd arrived when I finally mastered what is the ultimate piano recital song, In My Little Birch Canoe. <laughs> oh, you've heard of it. <laughs> it's really quite a classic, actually. I got so good at it that I played it at three piano recitals in a row. <laughs> the first time, my parents hung out afterwards with the other parents, sort of basking in the glory of that moment. And then the second time, we just ran to the car as quick as we could. And I didn't know, I think they just didn't want to gloat because, you know, their kid was so accomplished. <laughs> I guess they're too humble. The great thing about mastering the song was that if my mom told me to sit down and practice my piano, I could bang that thing out in a matter of seconds. And piano practice was a breeze for me. Unfortunately, one day, Mrs. Teason and my mother had a private conversation, and I never had lessons again. (laughs) I think she was jealous of my potential. I mean, nobody could play in my little birch canoe faster than I could. It's funny that, do you know it? In my little birch canoe, I travel all the world to view. And my brother says, yeah, who is in there? Whatever. And I could really crank that thing out. I could really. Well. (laughs) This this is clearly the pre-riders game crowd. I could tell. (laughs) That's. Never mind, I was going to say, you're supposed to drink at the game. Never mind, I'm sorry. <laughs> it sort of counts. I stopped myself, then I said it, so I was half self-controlled. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> now I'm losing it. Okay. <laughs> wow, wow, okay. You know... When I grew up, I realized that playing music was not a race, and uh, in fact, hearing other musicians play, and uh, what I realized was that what makes music enjoyable is when you play it uh, with spaces between the notes. You know, when you play things with the proper rhythm, even My Little Birch Canoe is better. It sounds like it should, And it's because of the spaces between the notes. And it's a lot like our lives. 
Sometimes it seems that we're living life uh, just to hit as many notes as fast as we can. And uh, we're frazzled and we're frustrated, we're fried, but we keep banging away because somehow we've become convinced that if we only do life faster, it will be more fulfilling. If we cram more in, if we accomplish more, if we have more experiences, then maybe that will really be deeply satisfying. What I want to tell you today is that if you can begin to live your life with God's rhythm, the benefits will spill over into every other area of your life. If you can start to create some space between the notes, you'll discover that the noise in your life will actually turn into music. I want to read with you out of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 and verse uh, 30. And this is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, but often we read about the reading, but we about the feeding of the 5,000, but we don't read about the paragraph before and the paragraph after, which really talk about the challenge of having rhythm and rest in our lives. So let's begin with verse 30. It says, you probably see it up there. There we go. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, they were busy. They didn't even have a chance to eat. I know what that's like. You probably know what that's like too. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and distributed to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately. Do you hear that word? Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowds. And after leaving them, he went up onto a mountainside to pray. Proverbs uh, 14, verse 8 says this, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of the fools is deception. We've been using um, sort of one long sentence throughout this whole holy and whole series. Um, I'm really curious how many bookmarks are left in the... Reach forward. If you can see a bookmark, raise it up. See if there's, there's still... How many are actually left? 
Oh, okay, we got a bunch of them left. We got a bunch of them left. I forgot to ask the tech guys to put a slide up for that. Is there any chance that can be pulled up? If not, I'll just grab one of these bookmarks. Someone's got one. Oh, there we go. They're really a collector's item now because we're running out of them. I've got about three in about three different books. And every now and again, I stop, flip it over, and I ask myself the question. I do a, an evaluation. I give careful thought to my waves. And I learn something when I do. Now is the time for honest and heartfelt evaluation of what I need to add and what I need to lose, thoughts I need to take captive, truth I need to meditate on, help I need to seek, and the healing I need to receive. So I ask myself those questions, especially the add and lose. That's the easiest one for me. Just what do I need to add in my life? What do I need to lose in order to uh, be holy? and whole. Holy talks about dealing with the, the sin and selfishness that tends to control our lives and being uh, um, recognizing those things, agreeing with God that those things are not good, and then uh, pushing those things out of our lives, repenting, turning away from those things and embracing Jesus. The whole part talks about the emo- emotional health that God wants us to live in and that often we don't have and you know, the pace of our life, the pace of our life is one of the reasons why we don't ever deal with our sin and we don't ever deal with our health, the health of our emotions because we're going so fast. We're going so incredibly fast. You know, I was going to call this series, um, I was going to call, no, I was going to call this message, I was going to call it Pit Stop Required. And then I was doing all this research into NASCAR driving, and I was going to talk all about NASCAR driving. And, and so what did I, I thought, you know, it's so great. I'm going to tell people they just need to take a pit stop like a NASCAR car. And then I realized those pit stops are like 12 seconds. And I thought, that's not the solution. That's our problem. You know, a NASCAR car goes 180, on average, 180 miles an hour through a 500-mile race. The Daytona 500 is actually 500. The Indianapolis 500 is more like 400. <laughs> Go figure. It's still called 500. They're cheating, right? They have 36 or 38 races. I can't remember which it is. In a year, they go from February to November. That's a long sports season, although most people are just sitting on lawn chairs, I realize. But that's a long season, although they only race once a week. But still, it's, it's pretty significant. 180 miles an hour for three hours. And usually the winning racer takes five pit stops of about 10 to 20 seconds each. That is a perfect metaphor for our lives. Think about it. Sometimes we just go, 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 go. And a pit stop is like you have to go to the bathroom. Tell me the truth. When you sit down on the toilet, do you feel like, thank goodness? <laughs> For more than one reason. <laughs> I mean, you say, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. But at the same reason, I have privacy. I'm alone. Uh, you know? I don't actually have to do anything even though I'm pulling my cell phone out to do an email. 
Maybe that's the only time I can cram that one in. Or get that urgent message to my wife or kids or business partner. Because there's no other place in my life I could possibly cram it in. Hey, we need more than a pit stop. We need more than a pit stop. We need rhythm in our lives. You know, your body comes preloaded with rhythm. The way God created you is preloaded with rhythm. Okay, let's, let's practice one of them. Inhaling and exhaling, okay? Just let's inhale. And exhale. One more time. And exhale. Hey, let's do it one more time. Hey, let's do it one more time. Stop. Some of you are annoyed. You're annoyed that I want you to do it one more time. Because I'm wasting time. The rider's game is at noon. <laughs> you feel that panic in your soul. I have to hurry up so I can relax. Or party or whatever. You come preloaded with the rhythm. Your breathing is rhythm, right? The cycles of, of uh, how your body works. You know, morning and evening, and nighttime, REM sleep, wake up. Every day, our brains actually run on a rhythm. They have a rhythm that they work with. Uh, our whole body, everything. You look at the oceans, they have a rhythm with their tides. You look at our, our, our climate, it has rhythm. We have winter and then those other two months. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's what I tell Americans. Um, but we have rhythm, right? We've got four seasons. We've got summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring. There's a rhythm. Everything's got rhythm. God lives his life, or God uh, shows us a, a pattern of rhythm when he created the world. He created for six days, and then the seventh day, he took a Sabbath, a day of rest, not because God was tired, but as an example for us to say, this is how I've created you to operate. Some people, uh, when you talk about Sabbath, they get antsy because they think, oh, that's like a legalistic thing where I got to, you know, not do this, not do this, not do that. And uh, the more I've discovered about Sabbath is it's not, a, it's not a have to, it's a get to. It's a get to in my life. It's a healthy, uh, it's a healthy rhythm that uh, keeps me sane, keeps me healthy, keeps me from getting sick. It does all sorts of things in my life. Let me give you just quickly three rhythms. I've shared these with you guys before, but three rhythms you find in the Bible and that really will make a difference in your life if you practice them. The first one is the daily rhythm. I would say divert daily. Divert daily. Right? Hey, I'll give you one more D word that what you should divert to do. You should divert to do devotions. <laughs> now I'm having a hard time saying all this stuff. If you never had, a, if you haven't ever, if you never succeeded with a habit of doing devotions, let me encourage you to do this. Make it as simple as you possibly can. If if you can get a physical Bible in a set location, and open it in the middle, you're halfway there. So you want it sort of in a place that you're going to go, or it's a place where you could actually read and not be interrupted and all that stuff. But have it open, okay? In the middle, Psalms. Psalms is really good. Because if you don't 
if you're just starting, you don't know how to pray. And that's actually through the centuries what people used to learn to pray. Is they would pray the Psalms and then they would know how to pray themselves, right? So start with Psalms. Read one chapter in the book of Psalms and then respond to God. Maybe there's a line in there that you just pray back to God, right? Read Psalm 1. Blessed is the righteous man who does not sit in the way of, oh, I can't even do it anymore. Stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. Well, I'm getting it all mixed up. But whatever, there's a righteous man who's planted like a tree by rivers of living water. And he brings forth fruit in his season because of being planted like that. And whatever he does prospers because he's planted like that. And he's not like people who aren't like that. They're, they're like chaff. They're like that part of the, the grain plant that, we just, that just blows away when you do your combining and, and all that. He says, you won't be like that. Your life won't end up being just a throwaway in the busyness of hyperactivity if you're planted by God. Divert daily. You want to see that kind of health flow into your life? You want to be whole in this area? Divert daily. It doesn't have to be super complicated. It doesn't have to be, find that Bible, crack it open, put it in a spot, get your chair, whatever. Find your spot. Sit there and, and start with a psalm. Read one psalm and then pray it back to God. Say, God, I want to be like that guy that you describe, that the, that the psalm writer was describing, that guy who's planted I don't want to be, have a life that's just throwaway like chaff. I want to have a life with meaning and significance and purpose. So divert daily. I'm not going to do a lot on that one because in a couple weeks, I want to do, in two weeks, I want to do a little bit of a mini teach on some really practical things to help you get started with your prayer life. Okay, so in a couple weeks, we'll come back to this one. Okay, but I'm going to, I'm going to jump to the next one. So divert daily. And then um, withdraw weekly. Withdraw weekly. We talk about the Sabbath. Uh, again, it's not a have to. It's a get to. It's not that man was made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It's for your benefit. In Jesus' day, there, people got really crazy legalistic about it. And they were just like, you can't take this many steps. You can't do this such and such work. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. And it was more of a restrictive thing instead of a healthy and positive thing. Now, I want, to, I want to help you understand what the Sabbath is as best I can. A Sabbath is different than a day off. A Sabbath is different than a day off. Day off is good for you too, sometimes. Sometimes people use their day offs in such a way that it was better if they actually went to work. That would have been healthier. A Sabbath is always going to be healthy for you. I'll tell you, a Sabbath is... Um, it's like a combination of play and pray. It's like, a, it's like a, a great hybrid of the both, right? Some people, they, they, their day offs is, is play. They, they, I work hard and I play hard and I go back to work tired. Play is, is a part of it. Recreation, having a new experience, doing something that's different, that's great. That's a great part of a, of a Sabbath. But pray, in, in, in other words, interact with God is also part. So I have, let's see if I can do this. I have seven S's that I try to do on my Sabbath. Okay, it sounds like, oh wow, it sounds like your Sabbath is totally booked up. But it, it, pro- it takes about two hours to do the bulk of it. 
Okay? So the first one is scripture. Scripture. So try to read some scripture and journal a little bit. It could take you half an hour. could take you an hour. You might really enjoy it and do two hours. But if you make your goal half an hour, I find it leaks into longer. And you don't feel bad about the longer. You really enjoy it. But you don't feel so resistant to doing it when you say it's only half an hour. Eh, that works for me. Trick my own brain. Works. Okay? So scripture is really helpful. Uh, then sweat. I, it really helps to restore me to get exercise. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right now. I'm going to tell you what the last five are. You tell me. Do you know what fuels you? I ask people this all the time. I say, what restores you? I'm usually asking them that when they're totally wasted, tired. They've got no energy. Life has just drained them. And I just say, okay, you need to get healthy. You need to get whole. You need to get restored. But do you know what does that? Have you figured that out yet? Along your journeys, have you tried different things and said, no, that doesn't quite work. But this does. Give me your best ideas. Sleep. Socializing. They don't have to all be S words, but you guys are cheating. Go ahead. Roller derby. Roller derby. Netflix. In what quantities? Okay, never mind. Never mind. Go on. Family. Reading. Meals. <laughs> yes, I agree. What else restores you? Nature. Nature. Sorry, I'm getting too... Music? Scripture? Football? Never heard of it. <laughs> we'll see how restorative it is by the end of today. <laughs> see if you feel rejuvenated or bummed out. Okay? What else? What's that? Quiet and alone in the basement. Jogging on the spot and doing... Well, it's very specific. And there's more? What's that? Okay, you got, you got this thought through. I love it. I love it. Okay. Anything else? What fuels you? Life drains you. Excessive busyness in our culture drains you. So what fuels you? Do you know? Anything else? Exercise? Yeah. Solitude? Worship? Friends? Ah. Serving. Great. You know, you might not all have the same fuelers as each other. You know that God's created you pretty uniquely that way. And that you might decide, when someone says something, you say, oh, that doesn't work for me. But when you say something, someone else says, that doesn't work for me. Right? But here, here's my, so I already gave you two. So scripture and sweat. Like to get exercise is, uh, you know, there's endorphins that come in part of that. But I enjoy that. Not everybody does, maybe, as much as I do. I like it. Um, and then I do a, a three, three together. See if I can remember them exactly how I say them. Yeah, scenery, so that's nature. Solitude and stillness. So if you go a walk down a walk a mile trail and then stop and just look around, 
scenery, solitude, and stillness. I can do an all-in-one activity, right? So those three are really great. So I've got scripture, I've got sweat, scenery, solitude, stillness. That's two hours out of my day. That's what it is. Now the last two, they can fit wherever. Sleep, right? Because maybe you don't nap or sleep in any other day of the week. So Sabbath maybe would be a great day to take a cat nap or sleep in an extra whatever, right? And then the last one, special time with my wife. Playing Scrabble, just like you do, right? That's what you were thinking. I know, that's what you were thinking. I know, I know. It's exactly what you were thinking, exactly. (laughs) You weren't thinking anything else. All right. So for some of you, you say, oh, okay. That didn't take the whole day. I'd still have time to do a lot of activity. <laughs> yeah. Some people, you know, I've, I've noticed this. Some of those don't sound good to some people, and they haven't learned an appetite for them. I remember I had um, uh, a student intern, and, I, and this was a time where I was really getting into sort of uh, more reflective spiritual practices in my life. And uh, I said, you know, a day of prayer is amazing. And there's a, you know, there's a, there was a, a place where, they could, where you could go away on a prayer retreat in Lumsden at that time on the hill there. And I said, yeah, I love getting away every now, every now and again for a day of prayer. Just a day alone by myself, nobody else, and I just, just me and God. It's just amazing, so restorative, so refreshing. And I said to my student intern, I said, I said part of your internship will be taking one day away in prayer at this wonderful place of solitude. And they were terrified. Terrified. So that sounds like the worst thing in the world. I was like, what? It sounds like the best things in the world. Now, there's personalities involved in these things sometimes. But the reality is that some of these things we've, we haven't tried, right? We haven't tried. We haven't found out uh, the value of them. Uh, Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous pastor killed by Adolf Hitler, actually, but he was trying to kill Adolf himself, so it's sort of fair. Anyhow, he, sorry if that's crass, sorry. This must be, I'm a little tired. I'll just admit that right off top. So if I'm, some of the extra stuff really is not in my notes at all. Oh my good, Lord, Lord, lead me. Okay. Bonhoeffer said, he said that if you're afraid to be alone, you're also a little bit of a danger in community. If you say, I always need to be with people, I can't be alone, then something's not quite right about how you are with people. But he said the opposite is true too. If you always need to be alone and you can't be with people, then something's wrong with your aloneness. It says the healthy one, that there's rhythm even in that, with people alone, with people alone. That's actually a healthy rhythm in our lives. And some of us have a high capacity for with people. You extroverts, right? I, I, sometimes I ask this question, how many nights can you do with people? On top of your regular job, how many nights can you do with people? And that, for me, tells it right away. Some people say, six, seven. Yeah, seven, okay, seven. Uh, okay, I don't need to guess what you are. You're an extrovert, right? And then um, other people are like, one. Or, or I could stretch to one, right? Or zero, right? And that's the reality. Introverts and extroverts, God made them both. They're a great blessing to the church. They're very different, though, very different. How many are married to one that's opposite of you? 
hey, that happens a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, let's go party. Why? <laughs> we, okay, I got to tell this one. Yesterday was a set-free retreat. We had an amazing time. Uh, I'll tell you more about that maybe in a second. But at one point, someone caught me and said, um, can I use the bathroom down the hall? There's a bathroom right by where we do the set-free retreat. Can I use the bathroom way down the hall? I said, oh, you mean the introvert's bathroom? I said, you go right ahead. <laughs> so then we called it that for the rest of the retreat. You know, if you want to, use the introvert's bathroom. They're just down the hall. Um, get the whole place to yourself. It's wonderful. Jesus, in, his, in this scenario here that we're looking at, he's... Uh, his first priority, he recognizes that they need to get away. He recognizes right away they need to get away. Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Guess what? When you try to put some space between the notes, when you try to put some rhythm into your life, when you try to, to, to get some rest, uh, you will often have that challenged by a pressing need. And Jesus experienced interruptions like that just like we do. It says, but many who saw them leaving, so they're leaving to get away. Guys, let's just go get, let's get refreshed, restored. Let's, let's uh, you know, let's make sure we have some space apart because we've been with people a lot. It's like the people saw them leaving and they're like, Jesus! They all run after. And so they go in their boat across the lake, and then the people are there. Can you imagine how discouraging that would be? It's like, we are peopled out, and it's these people that have peopled us out. And we're ministering to them, and it's a good thing that we're doing, but we're exhausted. Get in our boat. Ah, they're here too. Ah, it's like an introvert's nightmare, a total nightmare. It's like, we're, what do we do? Jesus does a very interesting thing. He, find, he is balanced. Jesus is incredibly whole. <laughs> There's two responses you can have. Some people, they lean into one healthy end and some lean into the other healthy end, and I think Jesus just hits it right. But the one unhealthy end is that I need people's approval. So as long as there's someone saying that they need me, I got to answer their request. I got to. I got to always be available. I. I. I'm a people pleaser to the core. I can't ever say no. I can't ever establish a boundary. I can't ever. Uh, and the only way I can rest is if all the needs are met. And they run themselves ragged. They're trying to answer all these needs of other people, but it's actually something in here that's sort of an emptiness that is the issue. The other end of the spectrum is you have people that they don't give a rip about people's needs. <laughs> right? It's like they can have all the meantime they want in life because they just, they don't care. Right? This is pretty extreme too. Jesus is right in the middle. Here he is. He's, he said, guys, we got to get away. This isn't the healthy rhythm. Let's get in the boat. We'll go to a solitary place. They make the move, and here are all these people. Jesus, just like you and I, being interrupted by needs that you didn't see coming, has compassion. He has compassion. 
He doesn't just see them as an annoyance, as the person who doesn't give a rip would see them. He has compassion on them. And he actually gives of himself, and the disciples, by proxy, also give of themselves wholeheartedly for a large stretch of time. Even when the disciples say, okay, now send them home, he says, no, no, we're going to feed them too. But then as soon as, then it gets to the end, and then here's Jesus. Here's his compassion. He does one thing. He says, hey, disciples, get in the boat. Get in the boat. I'll dismiss the people. This is, have you ever done that? If you're a leader in your family, I bet you've done that. You've seen your kids, and they're just drooping and wilting. You've seen your wife or your husband, and they have nothing left to give. And you realize, I'm probably the only one who can actually close up shop here. <laughs> I'm probably the only one left who has an ounce. Or maybe you're the extrovert of the family, so you've got a little bit more of people time in you that you can actually give. And you say, you guys go home. You guys get away. You guys go to the restaurant. You guys, whatever is the solitary place, you know. You guys go, I'll just finish this up. But it says as soon as he did that, immediately, immediately, he went off alone to pray. So this is the middle ground. This is the balance that I think Jesus finds and that I think we can find too is that we can live a life with a healthy soul. We can live our lives whole and have compassion because to to not have compassion is not a healthy life. If you don't give a rip about the needs of the people around you, something's not working internally like it should. You say, well, I don't find that in me. I don't find myself with mercy or compassion for people. And, you know, some people have it in spades and some people have it in lower quantities, but everyone should have it at some level. Ask God. So, God, give me compassion for other people. Give me, help me not to build a world that's just about myself. Help me not to try to put myself right in the center of the universe with everything spinning around me like I'm, I'm the sun or something. I want to... I want to be able to give in relationship. I want to be interested in other people. I want to be able to ask them about questions about their lives. I want to care, to listen well, to feel with them. Help me feel with them. Just pray that prayer. If you find yourself, you're a little bit on this end, and you say, man, I find myself in this uncaring space a lot of times, then pray that God will give you his compassion. But if you're on the other end, let me just help on the other end. The other response could have been where um, Jesus never got away. And that would have been super unhealthy too. So if you're on the other end and you're saying, I am not actually able, I am not actually able to bring rest into my life as long as there is one person who makes any request of me. Then that's not a healthy place either. That's not a healthy place either. Jesus had compassion on the crowds. He ministered to them. He gave an extra effort. I mean, following Jesus is not, it's not a lack of work. It's not a lack of effort. I mean, it's one of the hardest things that people do to follow Jesus. He calls them to do courageous, difficult, selfless things. But he doesn't call us to be controlled by other people's needs. 
He calls us to live a healthy life where we give attention to our own needs as well. So Jesus himself, he said, okay, guys, get back in the boat. And now I, I'm going to hit the hill. And I'm going to talk to my father. Jesus lived an incredibly dependent life on the father, connected with the father, constantly drawn into relationship with him. I think that's why the disciples said, teach us to pray. Because when they saw the relationship Jesus had with the Father, they saw how tight he was with the Father, they were like, is it possible for a human being to have that kind of relationship with God? Rabbi, teach us to pray. Can you teach us to have what you have with God? You really seem to enjoy this intimacy with God that we lack that we've never experienced. Could you teach us that? Could you teach us to draw close to him? Could coming close to God be a delight, be a source of strength? I had a conversation just recently about this um, with another leader, and we talked about how sometimes in our heads we get the wrong idea. We think going to be with Jesus is a chore or it's it's an energy drain to spend time with our Father. When our Father is the most giving being in the universe, his generosity is clearly seen through how he gave his Son to die for us. And and I love the verse that says, He who did not spare his own Son, how will he not also give us all things? Like, the proof that he's super generous is that he gives his Son. And so if you doubt him in other areas that he's going to be generous with you, if he's going to be giving towards you, if you're going to receive when you're with him, you shouldn't, because he's already proved his generous heart in a way that proves he's got way more to give. So sometimes we get that as a mental roadblock, and we don't draw close to God, but Jesus always drew close to God. He lived in dependence on God. He lived in close connection with God. I felt like this weekend in the Set Free Retreat, it's just so wonderful. I just felt like so many people were just saying, whatever could possibly be between me and God. If there's sin, if there's um, maybe some lies that I've come to believe because of hurts in my past or things like that, if there's anything that causes me to not be close with God, I'm going to deal with that. Incredible cool things happened this weekend. Incredible cool things. You know what? We had leaders coming from other towns to do our our set-free retreat. Uh, This time we had leaders from uh, Stoughton and Regina and Yorkton. And they're all coming and they're saying, hey, we've heard of what's happening and we're coming because we're serious about this too. God is doing a work actually in our, like, southern Saskatchewan. I've seen lots of churches that are sort of getting their mojo back. They're getting restored and they're strengthened and good leaders are coming into place. And, And with it, a new commitment to holiness Whatever is between me me and you, Lord, I don't want it there. I want to be tight with you. I want to be close with you. I want want my life clean. I want to be uh, walking just right, nipping at your heels instead of being far away. I want to follow you close. But I'm also seeing this happen too. Neat things happened yesterday where where God showed people uh, areas of their lives where the enemy had really tried to get in there with lies and, and, and confusion about their walk with God and, and about their lives, about their identity. 
And, uh, and people were saying, you know what? God took that twisted thinking in my life and straightened it out. He took the lie and he replaced it with the truth. So God's at work. God's at work. And we get the chance of drawing into him. Let me just read this to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, I was reading this story. Brian Heaney gave me this great book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's about a pastor who was really not healthy, and uh, God took him on a path to become more healthy. On the back of the book, it describes four ways he was unhealthy. Let me just read them to you. It says, he avoided conflict in the name of Christianity. That's not healthy. It says, he ignored his anger, sadness, and fear. You can feel your emotions. It's, it's, it's good to know what you feel. And it's okay, right? He somehow had come to the conclusion you couldn't. So he'd stuff them all. You, he was using God to run from God. Wow, using God to run from God. And sometimes we build sort of a spiritual uh, way to live our lives in such a way we don't actually interact with God. We don't allow him to get close and do the work in our lives. And finally, he was living without boundaries, which is a little bit what we're talking about this morning, right? Living without boundaries. Here's the thing. When you have restful space in your life, you are able to think, you're able to reflect, you're able to examine, and there's all sorts of fruit that comes out of that that you don't get otherwise. And one of the biggest things that comes out of it is you get to understand God and yourself. I told you last week about my mentor who said, Steve, the unexamined life is not worth living. There's real benefit in, in giving careful thoughts to our ways, like Solomon said. Let me read you a quick story. It's about Sheila Walsh. I didn't really know her, but she was a Christian singer and writer. And it says this, she, Sheila Walsh, Christian singer, writer, and former co-host of the 700 Club, told her story of how in 1992, her disconnected spirituality caused her to hit the wall. One morning, I was sitting on national television with my nice suit and inflatable hairdo. 1992, right? And that night, I was in the locked ward of a psychiatric hospital. It was the kindest thing God could have done to me. The very first day at the hospital, the psychiatrist asked me, Who are you? I'm the co-host of the 700 Club. That's not what I meant, he said. Well, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm a singer. That's not what I meant. Who are you? I don't have a clue, I said. And he replied, now that's right. And that's why you're here. Sheila continued. I measured myself by what other people thought of me. That was slowly killing me. Before I entered the hospital, some of the 700 Club staff said to me, don't do this. You'll never regain any kind of platform. If people know you were in a mental institution and on medication, it's over. I said, you know what? 
it's over anyway. So I can't think about that. I really thought I had lost everything. My house, my salary, my job, everything. But I found my life. I discovered at the lowest moment of my life that everything that was true about me, God knows. When we come away with God, when we come away with God, when we rest, when we allow ourselves to examine and him to examine our lives, something incredible emerges, and that's our identity. Sheila Walsh said, I don't know who I am. I was going to ask this question, but we're running out of time. It would have been fun to do this one, but maybe just tell you it. I was going to ask you, what kind of old person do you want to be? (laughs) And that would give everybody in the room the privilege of being a young person, right? Because you could all answer and say, yeah, well, when when I grow up, I'm 89 now, but when I grow up, I'm hoping, you know, Nobody ever would answer that. I doubt anyone would say cynical, self-focused, dismissive of the next generation. I don't think people would say that. I think people would say, I want to be loving, kind. I want to be confident. Maybe people would say, I want to be close to Jesus. I want to know that I'm a child of God. I want to anticipate heaven. I want to look forward to being with Jesus. I want to be kind to those around me. Well, none of us are there yet. But the unexamined life does not lead to that. The life where it's just banging away on the piano with no space between the notes, that doesn't lead to that. Jesus calls us to come apart before we come apart. To come be with him and allow him to do the work in our soul that we need. Will you stand with me today? I want to just close and just read Psalm 23 to you. I want to just put that up. We'll just put that up on the screen. Let's read it together, actually. Read it together. Wait, wait, wait. You don't have to read it together. If for you, you need to hear people read it to you, then do that. Do that instead. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, you said you'd, you, can, you can put a table before us in the presence of our enemies. If you can do that, I think you could put a table before us in the presence of our busyness, in the presence of our, our, the urgent demands that keep screaming for our attention. You said you want to lead us 
beside still waters, to green pastures, the kind of environments that restore our soul. Okay, we say yes. Nudge us. Speak to us. Speak to us about our condition. If we're running 180 miles per hour without any real stopping to take stock of our hearts and, and making sure that things are good on the inside and that we're, we're right with you and we're also uh, living in a way that's sustainable, then God, we, we ask that you'd speak to us in a way we can hear and that we would respond. God, we want to choose the times of rhythm in our lives. We don't want sickness to do that. We don't want uh, mental agitation to do that. We want to choose health, not have it forced upon us because we're finally broken down. And so, Lord, we, we hear what your word is saying. We see the rhythm that you made us to have. We know that these are things that will will bless us and also cause us to be a blessing. And so, God, we ask um, that the good things you have planned for us, we would stop resisting. And we'd embrace your plan for us. And Lord, I bet you're speaking to people about where to put their chair and when to get away and where to go for a walk. And all those things that restore Lord, help us not to just have that seed drop on us and a bird pluck it away. We want it to take roots. We want to be like the tree in Psalm 1. We want to be like the man who whatever he does, he prospers because he is rooted in you. So make us like that. Yeah. We love you and we know you love us. Wow, you love us. Thank you for all the other good things you want to add on top of the fact that you gave us Jesus. We just thank you so much for that, for, 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 for that sacrifice, for the righteousness imputed to our account because of Jesus. Thank you for your willingness to forgive and to lead. So we say yes to both of those things. Lead us. Draw us close to you. Show us any wicked way that we need to uh, put aside, turn away from, and then turn towards you. You're a great leader. You're a great leader. You're an incredible leader of the church. You're leading churches across this land into renewal, into life, into passion for you. You're raising up leaders. You're causing young ones like this morning, two young ladies to say, I am showing you the outward expression of the inner reality. I belong to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing. We praise you and we honor you in the church. We love you. Amen. Amen. The worship team's going to close with a song, but you're officially dismissed now. I know some of you Ryder fans are needing to go. So have a great week, guys. Cheer hard at the game if you're watching today. And uh, if you want someone to pray for you this morning, pastors and prayer teams will be here right here. After, the first, after this song, just come on down, and we'd love to pray with you. Have a great week.